Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. We'll start reading in verse number 7. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing. It is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thy heart, and in the sight of thy eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened, and the doors shall be shut in the streets, when the sound of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also when they shall be afraid, that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or even the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed, and sought out, and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and the nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. Um, so the conclusion of it all is what we'll be thinking about tonight, the end of this um, book of Ecclesiastes. So when Caleb went up to WVU for his student, student orientation, they sent the students off to go about the campus and um, uh, learn a little bit about the school, and they talked to us parents and they told us that uh, a student's success often depends on what they perceive to be their purpose in life. And they said they've been studying for a long time students that fail or flunk out of school and why, what they had in common. And they said one re thing that they had in common was they didn't have any meaning in their life. They didn't have any purpose. And so they go off to school. Mom and dad's not there to wake them up. And mom and dad's not there to tell them to do their homework. And they start thinking, why go to class? What's the point? What's the point of doing anything? Let's live life, eat, drink, and be merry. 
So they ate, drank, and was merry, and tomorrow they will flunk out or school or even worse. So uh, the university spent a lot of time and resources trying to help kids find their purpose. And they, they had the students take tests and define your strengths and how you can use them and what kind of job you might make you happy and what kind of job maybe to avoid and all those types of things. And they told us parents, they said, we are going to encourage your student to join groups and get engaged in different activities. And, and they promoted learning about different types of things that may have been outside of what they, what they know and that type of thing. Tell them to volunteer, to get connected to faith groups and all these types of things, all to find their purpose. Because if they have a purpose, then they might you know, be busy about um, getting to school and so forth. But ironically, it all centered in the students looking to themselves. So they were telling the students to go try all these activities, but it all boiled down to look within yourself to find your purpose, and then, and then that'll motivate you to, to do your classwork and so forth. But I agreed with a lot of what they were saying, but we had two different answers to the problem. So they were telling the students to look within Experience what college had to offer. Take classes of what you're interested in. Find yourself. Find out who you are. Find your purpose in life. And then once you do all that, then your life will have meaning. But our purpose is not within us. Our purpose is not what we do for a living. And it's not within our hearts. And it's not what we like or even what we dislike. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to love God and enjoy him forever. And I told Caleb, I said, you knew your purpose when you were a little child, when you learned the catechism question, what's the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the difference is between this sort of secular view of finding a purpose in life and the way the Bible tells us what our purpose is, is that we don't look within to find that, to be happy, but what we do is we look up and we say, well, I have a creator and my chief end and my purpose is to glorify God no matter what I'm doing. And whether it's with a job I like or a job I don't like, whether it's a class I like or a class I don't like, uh, my chief end is to glorify God. And see, that reorients everything, doesn't it? If everything that we do is for the glory of God, then every, that, that makes us think about life a whole, from a whole different perspective. Not what I can get out of it, but to use what God has given me to glorify him and to obey him. And so that's what Solomon, who the preacher is, that's what he tells these young people. And so um, I use that illustration because Solomon's talking to young people here. Um, and, he, and then the narrator's talking to young people at the end. He said, as you go and as you live your life, live for the glory of God. That is your purpose. That's the meaning of your life. And that'll help you to do the right thing and to avoid the wrong thing. And so, starting in verse number 7, he tells him um, to, to, to remember these things. You ever been indoors for a very long time? Maybe the building with no windows and you step outside and it's 
just a picture-perfect day. I could be indoors, and it could be raining, and I'd never know it. I don't see outside, and the it's got soundproof walls, and it could be a thunderstorm and hail and everything else, and I'd have no idea. And so I've walked into work before, and it's been dark and dreary and raining, and I come outside, and just a picture-perfect day. I had no idea that it was so nice outside. You just look up into the clear blue sky, and the sun, warm sun hits your face, and it's a sweet and pleasant thing to, to go out and to enjoy a beautiful day and just take in the sunshine. Well, verse 7 describes that. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun. And that's how the Bible is describing youth. That's what it's like to be young. To, to enjoy the, the pristine, perfect day and have that sunshine on your face and just life is good and, and don't have a care in the world. You might remember whenever you got out of school when you were a kid, I remember um, walking out of school knowing you didn't have to go back for a month or two and that was just uh, the, the best day, I thought. That was the best day of school. It was the very last one. You walk outside and say, oh, I'm going to go fishing and swimming and all these types of things. But that's how the Bible describes youth. But off in the distance, there's a storm brewing. Verse number 8. And if you live long enough and the Lord doesn't come back, you're going to start to get old. And dark days will come. And so it went from walking out whenever I was in first or second grade and just thinking all the stuff I was going to do for summer and then get a little bit older and then uh, get out of school and then you got to go to work and then you got to work all the time not just uh, you know not just certain times and so uh, that, that's what verse 8 is there's a sweetness to youth but then the darkness is going to come the life isn't always like that in this crooked world. All that cometh is vanity. Or in other words, life under the sun in a sin-cursed world is, is full of vanity and frustration and confusion. So, what does the preacher have to say about that? He says, in, he says young people, life's like a beautiful spring day. But I want you to know that there's a storm cloud coming, and life is not always like it is, as nice as it is in childhood. So what does he say? Does he want them to be depressed? No. What's he saying in verse 9? Rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Might be different than what we expected. Rejoice and be glad. Have a cheerful heart. Enjoy your life. Even walk in the ways of your heart. Enjoy what God has given you. And we've seen that all through this book that, that Solomon has t told us to enjoy the gifts God has given us. And he'll go and he'll tell us that life is hard and life is confusing. Then he'll say, enjoy, enjoy your supper. Enjoy what God has given you today. Everything that God has given you has been a blessing today. And he'll say, just enjoy that. Tomorrow's gone and or, or yesterday's gone and tomorrow hasn't got here yet. And so enjoy what God has given you today. And so that's what he's telling the young man. Enjoy your youth. Enjoy the light in the sight of thy eyes. 
Enjoy what God is giving you during this season of your life. But here's the caveat. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. Enjoy life, but know you're going to stand before God one day. So remove sorrow from your heart, put away evil from your flesh, and live for God's glory. Enjoy life, but don't indulge sin. Because see, you can't enjoy life in this cursed world without knowing the boundaries God has laid out in his law and the consequences for crossing the line. And so the world tells you to go out and do whatever you want, and whatever your heart tells you to do, go out and do it and enjoy life. But the scripture says, enjoy life in light of the judgment of God. Enjoy this world that God has given us. Enjoy the, the youth that he has given you and the strength that he has given you and the time that he has given you. But do it for the glory of God. Satan would like you to think there's no joy unless you're sinning. And so you might read that, enjoy your life, and immediately the old depraved nature of our hearts will start thinking, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want? Can I indulge in, in sinful behavior and so forth? Well, that's not enjoying life um, in the light of the judgment of God. Satan would like you to think that there's no joy unless there's sin. The thing about Eve in the garden, Eve had every delight possible upon the earth. And yet somehow the devil deceived her and convinced her that her life was incomplete and that God was holding back from her and she was missing out. Think about that. She had everything, every delight, every perfection this world had to offer. Everything was yes to Eve, except don't eat that tree. And the devil convinced her that the only way she could be happy was to go and eat that fruit. Well, the preacher is saying, enjoy your life, but in all the things that God has given you. This world is still, despite its curse, full of, of ways that we can honor and glorify God and enjoy what he's given us and be thankful for what he has given us and to be content with the things of God. Enjoy life by, by putting away evil. So if you can only think enjoying life can only come from tasting sin, then, you, then your thinking's messed up and it's going to lead to a world of hurt. The joy that we have in this life comes from the hand of God. And it's a lie of the devil to think that it's outside of what God has given us. Don't fall for Satan's lie that wickedness and sinfulness is the way to happiness and joy. So here's a command to rejoice, O young man. A command from God. So if you want a law, there's your law. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. So there's your command. Rejoice. Let your heart be cheerful. And do those things knowing that you will stand before before God. 
So put away evil from your flesh and rejoice in the Lord. So he says childhood and youth are also vanities. And just like all the other vanities that we've seen from um, the vanities of pleasure, the vanities of, of knowledge, the vanities of possessions, all the things that Solomon has gone to, and now he's going to tell us that even childhood and youth are vanity. It's not going to last forever. You'll be older when I get done preaching than when I started, not because it feels like I preach forever, but it's just the way time is, isn't it? It marches on. And he said childhood and youth are vanity. And people spend fortunes with plastic surgeries and so forth to make themselves look younger and, and all these types of things, but it doesn't work. Just every second we pass on, we're, we're temporal beings. And even the, the strength and the bright summer day of youth is also vanity. Uh, Gibson said that this was the nerve that the serpent had touched and eaten to make paradise appear as an insult. There's a way of looking at the world that sees God's goodness to us that causes us to live with a constant wonder at his daily provision. There's another way of living that feels constantly slighted by God and others, and it becomes a greenhouse for bitter roots to flourish. So you can look at life and say, look at all that God has given me. I don't deserve any of them. Look at all that God has given me. Or you can look at it and say, look what everybody else has, and how come I don't have that, and I'm not going to be happy till I get it. One way enjoys what God has given us and glorifies him. The other way is the way of Eve. It says, well, I can't be happy unless I have what God hasn't seen fit to give me. So remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember your creator. He is Lord over you. He created you. And as he is your creator, remember your creator cares for you. So you can look at it in one way and say, well, God's a creator and he's stern and um, that the way of the creator is the way of uh, a dour, sour attitude of life. That there is no joy, there is no pleasure in the way of the creator, but the devil has all the pleasure over there, but that's not the, the way to look at that. He is our creator, but he, but he, as creator, he cares for his creation. Notice in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, how our Lord Jesus Christ um, talks to us about um, God the Father as our creator. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, for nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you can, taking thought, add one cubit to a stature? 
And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So there we have Jesus talking of our, our creator, our God, who cares for his creation. He cares for the birds. He cares for uh, even the animals of the field. So naturally we can know that he will care for those that he sent his only begotten son to die for. We can trust him. Remember him in the days of your youth. Remember that he is a kind and compassionate father to those who trust in him. Remember that he is your Lord. Remember that um, because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God is your father and that he is a good father and a loving father. So remember him. Remember him when the days are evil. Remember him when times are, are tough. Remember him and live for his glory. Remember him while you live and enjoy what he's given you. Walk in his ways with the gifts that he's given while you can. And don't look back on your life and see that you've wasted it not living for Christ. Remember him now. And don't wait and say, well, I'll serve the Lord later on. I'll bless the church later on. I'll help people later on. Because what will happen is you'll get later on and you'll say, well, what have I done? What have I done? When you're young and you've got strength to, to, to stay up all night, well, that's a time to think how much you can read, how much you can study, how much you can visit, how much you can witness, how much you could um, do things for other people, right? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Because everybody can testify it doesn't get any easier as it goes on. And that's what... Uh, the next passage of Scripture um, illustrates. So, starting in verse number 2, he's going to press this home to you. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth because one day you're going to meet your Creator and things aren't always going to be um, the way that they are. So, in verses 2 through 7 is a poem. And it's a poem about growing old. So we walked outside earlier and the sky was clear. The sun beat down on our face. And we enjoy, enjoyed that warm spring day. Everything's bright. Even at night, the sky is full of brightness and the moon and the stars and the crisp, cool air that, that evening. But again, off in the distance, the storm's brewing. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds 
return after the rain. That's the youth. But in the day, but there's a storm coming. And so in this poem, we walk down the road, and there's a house. And this poem describes a house, um, a big farm maybe, or um, a farmhouse, lots of workers, lots of people doing a lot of work around the house. But it represents life. And the point of this poem is you're building the house you're going to live in. Uh, as a person of any age, but especially as a young person, you're, you're building the house you're going to live in. And so the things that you view now, the things that you do now will be pictures on your walls and memories that you'll have. And, and you just think in years go by, you think, what kind of pictures would I want up in my house? Do I want to cringe every time I walk down the hallway of those bad memories of those wasted years? Or do you want memories of, uh, of love and blessedness? Those types of things. So this house is our, is our life. And, he, and, he, and this poem is, is supposed to give the young Pauls to think and consider that you don't stay young forever. So in verse number three, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out the windows be darkened. So maybe this storm is coming in, it's getting dark, the people who kept the house are kind of afraid, and, and the, the strong men bow down because of the, maybe the storm is coming, the women grinding the flour all stop, there's just not very many of them now, and, and those cease, those, they look, stop looking out the window because uh, everything's getting dark. Well, this is describing the human body. The keepers of the house that are shaking are, are the hands. The keepers of the house begin to tremble. The hands begin to shake. The strong men shall bow, them, bow themselves. And that's either, it's probably the legs that um, not as strong as they used to be. The grinders cease because they are few. And RB can probably guess what this one is. What would be the grinders that are few? Well, that's, that's your teeth. And the grinders become less and less and they become few. They cease because they are few. Those that look out the windows be darkened. Well, what do you think that is? Well, that's, that's the eyes. The eyes aren't as strong as they used to be. Verse 4, And the door shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low, and shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of the music shall be brought low. So the sound of the grinding is low. The music is brought low. What's that telling us? Well, things, everything starts, uh, people start talking quieter. And the music starts to be a lot more quieter, it seems. Well, but why is that? Well, the, you start losing your hearing. You rise up at the voice of a bird. You don't sleep like you used to. As a teenager, you might go to sleep and be able to sleep for 12 or 13 hours, and, and mom and dad try to wake you up and can't even wake you up. But you get older, the voice of the bird, the slightest thing that'll wake you up, and that's it. You're up the rest of the night. You're getting up all night as it is. Things change. 
also um, when they shall be afraid that which is high and fear shall be in the way or so afraid of that which is high afraid of afraid of falling other fears that you didn't have once upon a time they, they begin to multiply because the strength the, your strength is abating the almond tree shall flourish and when the almond tree uh, matures uh, it, it buds and everything turns white so that's a illustration the almond tree flourishes so when it's when it's time the almond tree is all white so the hair turns white the grasshopper should be a burden it's not hopping around like it used to be but but literally it's dragging it's not hopping from uh, blade to blade all over the place but but just dragging along the desire of man shall fail the desires of the body change and fail because man goes to his long home and the mourners go about the streets where even the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. So the life, it's just saying life is precious and valuable, but also very fragile. Like the bowl hanging from that silver cord or the clay vessel falls at the cistern, the body returns to the earth and the Spirit to the God. And so the preacher says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And this is the end of the sermon. The preacher ends with a sigh. And we actually end where we began in the book. In chapter 1, verse 2, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The cycle continues. Under the sun, life is short and hard and difficult and perplexing. And what the preacher has done is made us realize that if we try to find total fulfillment in all of our purpose in this world, in the gifts that God gives, rather than the giver of gifts, then no matter which way we go, even if these things are good, they won't fulfill us. That, that it's a stark and kind of upsetting thing to think about. The way that it's laid out here. And because of the curse and the world is crooked and, and all these things that Solomon has laid out for us. But he does this as a kind reminder that if we're going to find joy and happiness and peace in this life, it must be not from under the sun, but from the heavens. It must be in God. Chuck Swindoll said in these verses that we learn three things. That I must face the fact that I'm not getting any younger. God's designed me to be empty without Him. And now is the time to prepare for eternity. Well, if you recall at the start of this book, I said there are two people that talk in the book. You got the narrator and the preacher. The narrator introduces the preacher at the very beginning. 
He says, the words of the preacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And so it's as if the man walks out upon the platform and got all these people gathered together to say, hey, come listen to this preacher. He's going to give us a speech today. And everybody shows up and don't know who it is or what he's going to say. A man walks out and says, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then the narrator steps off. And then the preacher comes out and says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Well, now we get to the end of the book. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And then he steps off the stage and the narrator comes back. You know, you don't really notice him because he's, he's a good narrator. Your attention is on the person he's introducing. But he's the one telling the story. So he announced the preacher, stepped aside, and we don't know what to think about the preacher at first. And we don't even know his name. He just comes in and says, the preacher, son of David. And he walks away. And we don't know if he's a good king or a bad king. We don't know if he's a good preacher or a bad preacher. We don't know if what he's going to tell us is true or not. He doesn't come out and tell us his point. He just comes out with this shocking statement that everything is vanity. Everything is empty of vapor. And that just shocks us. And then he goes on and, and all these things that we think are good, and, and most, in some cases are good, we find out that it's a dead-end street. And then he hits us over the head with plain truth and he does it again and he does it again. And we're just kind of dizzy with all of his, his sort of strange but profound preaching. And he never did, and we, we don't know what to think of him at first. But the narrator saves that for now. Instead of introducing him as a wise man, and you really ought to listen to this man, he knows what he's talking about, he's really studied this out. He saves that to the end. Should we listen to the king? Should we listen to what he has to say? What do we think of the preacher and all the things he said? Well, verse number 9, we find out what we should think about him. And so the way it is, you just, you're kind of perplexed as you go through this, but once you get the full scope of it, now we get the conclusion from the narrator what we ought to think about what we just heard. He's summing up this message for us. Should we listen? Yes. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. So this preacher is wise. He wasn't a crazy man. He wasn't, um, he wasn't one that was a, a nihilist or apathetic or, or not knowing what he's talking about. But he's a wise man. And the preacher taught good doctrine and good knowledge. And he didn't just make it up off the top of his head. He didn't just wing it. He didn't just step behind the pulpit and talk about what he saw in the newspaper or what he heard on the news. But he studied this out. He investigated it. He thought out the issues that were at hand. He thought about life under the sun. And he put these proverbs together for us so we can understand the way to live in the fear of the Lord. So you have a wise man 
probably be Solomon, who had unlimited resources and wisdom beyond understanding. And he put this book together in a way that, that is purposely designed to make you stop and to think and to back up and say, wait, what did he just say? And read it again and, and, and roll this over in your mind to teach you and to guide you in your life. He was a good preacher. But this message was carefully crafted and wisely put together and pastorally good for anybody who will listen. It says that his words were acceptable. They're delightful. They're upright. They're straight. They're truthful. They're confusing at times. And sometimes it seemed like the preacher was taking us in the wrong direction. But just as we thought we might be going in the wrong direction, he'd stop and bring us back. But he was just showing you that there's no joy found apart from Christ. And so that's why some people think that this is a book of a nihilistic view of life, that what's the point? Because they don't grasp what he's saying. The preacher would take us down to the brink and then bring us back and say, no, don't go down that way. That's not the right way. But but hang with me because we're not done yet. And he'd take us in another path and down another street and down another street. And then we start to understand, oh, I see what he's doing here. He's showing us that life is vanity without Christ. There is no joy apart from Christ. And that's what he's showing us. Then we get some, to some of those rapid-fire proverbs that were a lot to take in. And he jumped from one topic to the next topic. But that's sort of like life, isn't it? You don't get to put your life in a nice outline and deal with matters in a logical format. You know, sometimes it's easy to make an outline in the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans. Paul's very logical and he has everything in a, in a nice order. And this begets this and therefore because of that. And it's just all laid out there um, to, to systematically. But life isn't systematic. Life is seems to us random and and confusing and from one thing to another to another and that's the way those proverbs were but in all that the preacher told us everything he told us was good and delightful and truthful because verse 11 the words of the wise are as goats and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one Shepherd. Words of wisdom are like goats. That's you know the staff the shepherd used to keep the sheep going in the right direction. Well, that's how wise words are to keep you in the, going in the right direction. Words of wisdom are like firmly fastened nails, strategically placed, and they'll hold things together the way they ought to be. Now it says by the masters of assembly, so you know it's not like a, a boy nailing something together, taking 500 nails and putting it in one little, one little section of a board. But no, this is somebody that knows what they're doing, and they'll take a nail, and they'll put it where it needs to go, and it'll stick. And that one little tiny nail will hold things together, firmly fastened. That's the way wise words are. Words of wisdom directs us, and it keeps us together, and it builds things up all coming from the one shepherd. Not Moses, 
not David or even Solomon, but the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, and all wisdom comes from Him. You read that in 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1, Colossians 3. Christ is the wisdom of God. And He is that one shepherd. He is the one that we receive this truth. And so without Christ, you can't even have these goads or these nails that, that guide and shepherd our lives. Be admonished by wisdom. All this wisdom is valuable. And if we... If we begin to study this, all the possibilities couldn't even be discovered. The preacher, even in the book of Ecclesiastes, gave us only a few ways that people try to find fulfillment in this life. But if we tried to go down every possible scenario and write a rule for every life decision, there'd be no end to writing rules for life. Think about decisions that you had to make today. What if... What if there had to be a rule for everything that you did? Well, there'd be no end to writing books, would there? Even, even with wisdom, the making of books, there is no end. But imagine if there was a rule book for everything that you had to do. Well, wisdom offers these principles of our life that we can walk in the fear of the Lord. There was no rule book for Solomon whenever the two women claimed the one child but it was through wisdom that Solomon says, well, let's cut that baby in half and you can each have a half. That wasn't in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, but that was wisdom. That, that divine wisdom, heavenly wisdom that Solomon used to uh, navigate a difficult situation. And so that's what we have here. You're not, you might not have a Bible verse for every scenario of your life, but the wisdom that the preacher gives us, the wisdom that we have in Christ, um, directed by the Holy Spirit, will help us to, dis to discern between right and wrong, good and evil, and right and almost right. So this, these words of the shepherd goad us and strengthen us and build us up. So finally, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. When we live our life, everything we do is for God and not ourselves. We do our jobs in the fear of the Lord. We honor God by doing what he says. You can work for the fear of the Lord. You can cut grass in the fear of the Lord. You can do your school in the fear of the Lord. Everything we do is for God's glory and the good of others. This conclusion of the whole matter is live your life in the fear of the Lord. Because one day you're going to stand before him. The Stoics had a phrase, memento mori, or remember you must die. But that's only half of it. You can remember that life is short and then use that to live for every bit of pleasure you can. I'm sure you know people, like I do, that have that philosophy of life, and they say, well, I'm going to do everything I've ever wanted to do um, because life is short. But they go out and live sinfully and wickedly. But that won't bring satisfaction. For the Christian, we read this and know 
The day is coming. We must live to honor and glorify Christ while we can. And we can live not in fear because there's no condemnation anymore. We've been freed from that fear that the last enemy has been defeated. And we can stand before the Savior one day and know that we ran the race and finished the course because our sins will not be judged because they were judged in Christ. And as David Gibson said, we can labor for Christ while we live and we can live with Christ when we die. We can live joyfully for Christ and you will have lived a good life. So he says to the youth, don't squander your life for living for yourself or living for temporal pleasure. That'll just leave you unsatisfied and empty and broken. But live in light of eternity, knowing that your sins are forgiven and that your Lord will reward faithful service to him. A life given over to Christ is not a wasted life. He's not a fool that gives up what he can't keep um, in exchange for that which he can't lose. To paraphrase the missionary quote, So remember, the end of the road. Remember that we're going to stand before God. Remember that the joy that you have is not in sinful activities, but it is in loving Christ. I'm going to close with two quotes here. One from William Barrick. He said, the book of Ecclesiastes does not um, represent the full uh, panorama of divine revelation, but it certainly sets a personal firm foundation for which a solid spiritual life might be erected. Face today and tomorrow with Solomon's journal in hand. Enjoy life under the sun, but prepare for life beyond the sun. And then Walter Kaiser ended his commentary with this. He said, what a book. What a good God. What a life. And what a plan. Let's learn from the preacher and rejoice in what he has, be thankful for what he has, and live and remember our Creator and live for his glory. May God bless.